Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We, we need more tables here. I need... Waiter, could you bring me another table, please? So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 25 of the More Than Just Code podcast. We've reached our first major milestone. Um, my name is Tim Mitra. I'm here in Toronto, Ontario, and I am joined by, once again, Aaron Vey in Whitby, Ontario. Good evening. And I'm joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And once again, we have Mark Rubin, who's down in L.A. again. Sunny, no snow, L.A. this week. Hey, <laughs> I'm you, Rubin. <laughs> All right, so we have a couple of follow-up articles that um, we've come across. Uh, Jaime posted a, um, a, an article from um, information gathered from App Annie, which is a, a app, I guess, what do you call it, an aggregator of iTunes statistics for developers. Um and it was an article that was published on TechCrunch about some of the findings that they've found in uh, trends in 2014. So, Ahmed, do you want to jump in? And- One thing we talked about in a few episodes ago was other markets beyond the traditional, like, United States market, Canadian market. And in the trends that we see so far, it's like, yes, um, I mean, the, Japan, South Korea, and the U.S. collectively generated, you know, more than everybody else combined. But you look at the growth in the BRIC, B-R-I-C, being Brazil, China, India, and Russia, uh, you're seeing tons of growth there. And so there's there's tons of opportunities, right? So even if you had something that was fairly saturated, like a U.S. market, doesn't mean that you can't make your money somewhere else. Um, right, and in right. terms of making your money, as far as platforms, there's some interesting stats about how Google Play versus the, uh, the App Store are working. So... Google Play had uh, 60% more app downloads than uh, the App Store. But if you look at the revenue generated, iOS generated over 70% more app revenue from the stores. It's interesting how they're growing at a similar rate, isn't it? Yeah. Look at that chart. Yeah. And if you look at the the difference, it it is kind of closing in though, right? In terms of the, the revenue at the very least, where it was... 
about double the the uh, revenue, or I should say, it was a hundred percent more revenue, and now it's only seventy percent more revenue. So, mm. it seems like there's a bit of a trend where they might cross at some point. Yeah, but it yeah, seems maybe. to require a massive amount of of downloads on the Android platform to equal the iOS platform in terms of revenue. It'll be really interesting to see how the trend changes or doesn't change this quarter, given Apple's fantastic numbers in you know sales of new phones last quarter, and and will there be a some kind of a reversal here in in, in the trend or or mm-hmm. will it continue? Also interesting that Brazil as well as China are two of the markets that are making having an impact. It took a long time for Apple to get into Brazil, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's just a massive, massive country in terms of population. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. But hmm, I don't know. It's still a lot of w- uh, way to make up. I don't see Canada in this list. What's going on? Here? <laughs> um, weird. We're the fifty second, fifty third state. I think it is. Uh, how yeah. many states do they have now? I don't I've lost know. Track. I lost track. Fifty something. And, you know, both of you Canadians, both of the Canadians are here on the phone, so they're not out downloading apps. That, that must be. That must be. That's Good true. Lord. All two of us. Yeah. And two more of us are down in Washington waiting for RWDevcon. Mm. Yeah, so that's pretty much the whole population of developers up here. I think it's really interesting, this chart about uh, demographics skewing towards female um, for these app categories here. This is like 0.7 in this list, yeah. Fortunately, or sorry, rather, very unfortunately, I should say, um, most developers are male, yeah, it's something mm. I've just noticed. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but yeah, it um, mm-hmm. yeah it appears to be. And so, if uh, more women are actually using the apps that we're making, uh, I think that has repercussions on the people who make the apps and the kind of apps that people make. Mm-hmm. So, very maybe so, but, thing to think but about. given the categories that are here, it's kind of not too much of a surprise. Social networking and photo and video are the two categories, two of the three categories that they show. And those are the two that skew heavily towards female. And that's not too surprising, right? I think female, uh, females tend, you know, gross generalization, tend to do social networking more than men do uh, and, mm-hmm. and often are, are more into photo as well. Uh, whereas games are skewed a little bit more towards males, which, again, sort of intuitively makes sense, although it's a, it's a generalization. Yeah, and not to say that that women don't aren't gamers. Right, of course. I, yeah, I, yeah. I've had I've yeah. had my ass handed to me by many women playing playing uh, video games, you know, in the past. Yeah. Um, I just, I just as a, si- a segue there, um, I was listening to Isometric today, and uh, Brianna Wu was talking about um, a book that's being written. There's a Kickstarter program called um, Women in Tech. And she's going to be writing the gaming chapter, but there's a whole sort of, uh, for the women listening to our podcast out there, there is a whole uh, book being written up on um, the, the ways that women in, in tech can navigate this sort of male-centric uh, world or, or world of development. Anyway, just a side note. Uh, one of the groups I was hanging out with uh, had point, posted a, an article on the use of the word final in uh, declaring classes and methods and properties in... Uh, Swift, I believe it is, right? Um, and it's in the documentation, and the idea, as I understand it, as the, I guess, the layman developer here, um, it basically allows you to tell the, compi- the compiler that this particular class or, or um, property or function isn't going to change. Is that correct? Can't be subclassed. 
Can't be subclassed. Okay. Can't be subclassed. Uh, let me read to you from the Book of Swift. Sure. <laughs> this is uh, well, in my iBooks edition, page 891 in the reference section of the guide. Mm-hmm. Um, final. Apply this modifier to a class or to a property, method, or subscript member of a class. It's applied to a class to indicate that the class cannot be subclassed. Mm-hmm. It's applied to a property, method, or subscript of a class to indicate that the class member can't be overridden in any subclass. Oh, right. So, which means, you know, for the compiler, it means that uh, this value or the meaning of this value is not going to change at any future time in the in the life of this application. Right. And apparently, according to this article, it has significant performance improvements. Well, optimizations, apparently. So yeah. I, that's what this article is saying, that if you... Um, are litigious about using the final keyword where it counts that uh, the compiler produces a much better optimized code. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm, I, I'm, I'm gathering from this article. You know, and uh, I maybe flipped out a little bit when I first read this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe a little well, bit. We'll, we'll, we'll play a little bit of that in the, in the podcast. There okay. you go. After the show. <laughs> what, what we can, actually, yeah. Yeah. In, yeah, in the after show. Tune in for that, folks. There was some colorful language. I'll just put it that way. Mm-hmm. But the thing that makes me upset uh, with this is that um, it's it's putting more on me than uh, than I would like to have put upon me as, as the developer. Um, one of the things that makes me uncomfortable about Swift, which on the whole, I think I've said this before, uh, is a very interesting and um, important language that I have no doubt I will be coding in full-time in maybe uh, within maybe after the next a fortnight we'll give it at least a fortnight it, no definitely more than a fortnight but <laughs> say this time next year i'm probably going to be all swift all the time sure okay say that all probably right. before then but um there are certain things that scare me off a little bit from it and um one of them is the optionals and the force unwrapping um those those features of the language that make it safe and it, it requires the developer to pay very close attention to uh, their variables. And obviously that was done by design, right? So the whole point of it is to make sure that your code is safe, memory safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, I'm thinking as I'm reading this, this article here about the, the final keyword, that um, this is a temporary optimization that you can do uh, while we're still waiting for the compiler to improve and catch up to the kind of performance we expect from Objective-C. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would really hesitate uh, to adopt this, this keyword as a standard practice uh, because it's, it would be yet another thing that I have to keep track of in my code, and that really uh, sets off a whole bunch of alarm bells for me. Well, by that logic, why, why ever use a const then? Why don't just make everything a bar? Yeah. Right? Right. I was going to say, to me, coming coming at it from other scripting languages, um, I've seen this kind of stuff before, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, mean, I know we have private and public and all that kind of stuff here in, uh, in I believe, Swift, and sometimes Objective-C, I say with caution, but um, in other languages, uh, when, you, when you don't want uh, a class that you've written to be subclassed or to be extended, I think is the terminology in those languages, um, then you basically make it private or, or you, you basically close it off somehow. And I've forgotten the, the keywords to make that happen, but I've seen that kind of stuff in, in other languages. And you know. This is access control you're talking about. I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
certainly. I mean, like that's that's just a feature of, of most languages. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in Objective C, we do it typically by um, declaring variables and uh, sorry classes and. Um, Oh, listen to me go. <laughs> Method names and properties can be declared in the implementation file, and they're, those are private. Right, right, right. yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And the ones in the, in the header file are public. Right, exactly. Um, yep. And Swift has keywords that it can use um, uh, for access control, and the names of them have escaped me at the time, but um, they're probably something like public, private. <laughs> mm, <laughs> or yeah. internal, here we are. Public, internal, and private are the yeah. access control levels. These are keywords that you can put in your source. Right. Well, you know, none of us are subject matter experts when it comes to Swift because, um, you know, we've we've all written in Swift. Well, okay, I can't speak for all of us, Jaime and Mark, for sure. I don't know if you guys have written much Swift. Um, maybe a little bit, but um, not enough to say, you know, to, to have become 100% familiar with the, you know, thousand-page Swift programming language guide. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So there's there's going to be dark corners everywhere. You know, having read this article about the final keyword, um, I, I see that it's part of the language, but I would hope that we would not have to use this as an optimization for the compiler. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it like that. Well, I think, you know, optimizing your code is, is has always been part of development, and it's sort of your job to, to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're depending on the compiler to... Do everything for you, then then uh, you're probably not going to get the most performant code. So, so sure. uh, I, I, I would tend to disagree. I, I think this is something that's available for you to use uh, to improve your your software, and you might as well use it. And it's to your advantage to use it. Do you think, Mark, that it, this will always be um, an optimization for Swift compilation? Sure. Yeah. Never, and it was intended this way. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, again, I'm not an expert on on this particular thing, but but it's like like I was just saying about you know like the constants versus, versus the vars. You never have to use let. You could always say var. Right. But you but you don't do that. Right. You use let because you're telling the compiler that this is something that's not going to change, and therefore it shouldn't re- uh, reserve the extra memory or or whatever to to make that into something uh, more flexible than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I see this as the same type of thing. In, in my mm-hmm. thinking on Swift, like when you declare a variable, um, you you want to default to let instead of var. And why? Why? If the compiler is good enough, and I'm just you know being the devil's advocate to your previous yeah. statement, if the compiler is good enough, whatever that means, then it should know just by looking at your code, that this this particular thing that you're declaring never changes, and it should know that it should be a, a let, not a var. So you should never have to decide whether it's a let or a var. All right, then. Uh, then you you be your own devil's advocate and tell me why that's necessary. <laughs> like, why why can a compiler not know what to do in that case? Why, well, why do we have probably, a language it that probably requires could. us? It probably could. It probably could if if the you know the language developer put the time and effort into doing that, but but you know I'd rather them be working on something else than that because I could make the decision whether I want something to be a, a constant or a variable. I do think that no matter what goes into the compiler technologies and the, the techniques are really good. They're they're scarily good at what they do. Um, I do think that there will always be a performance improvement, you know, using this kind of technique. The question is under what context will that actually make a meaningful difference? 
rate. So the compiler guys might be able to get it closer, but the way that I understand that, you know, the method lookups work to see, okay, well, let me go up the chain and see if there's any sort of override to this that not, that might be necessary. Like that extra bit of indirection will look like always, always like it's just physically impossible. I, I believe to not have it be slower because there's one extra operation that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Right now in today's, you know, crazy processors and, and A8X and all these other things, maybe it doesn't make a difference unless you're doing heavy 3d performance, like you're a, a mobile game or, or other things, but for your typical create, read, update, delete apps probably doesn't make a difference. Right. right? And, and hopefully they'll, they'll make it so the compiler makes it so it doesn't make a difference in the vast majority of, of app use cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did actually put this on the, on the podcast topic because I, I think that we have talked about performance of of our code in, in the real world and struggling with trying to figure out why things are, are uh, taking the time that they do to, to run and, you know, notwithstanding the source kit crashes every five minutes and, you know, things like that and not being able to refactor still. But um, that's why I put it up here because because and I'm just looking at uh, there's there's a resource for people who if they're looking for something there's um, the Ray Runderlich group has put up a Swift style guide I was just looking for their defi- their reasoning behind let and var just to, to sort of circle in on that argument that, we, that um, Mark and um, Aaron were just tossing around there um, but I'll put a link to that in the show notes so if people want to take a look at that um, any other thoughts on this guys you know so this is a also a language. Uh, decision or a design decision in the language, right? So you always have to make a, a decision when, when creating a programming language as to, you know, am I optimizing for readability or writability? Am I optimizing for A versus B? And so it would not have been unreasonable to say that, you know, things are immutable and cannot be changed by default. And that you would have to explicitly say, hey, I'm willing to take the potential performance hit and make this, you know, overridable or, you know, non-final. Um, considering that a lot of, you know, immutable programming has come into vogue. And mm-hmm. what's coming to mind here is I remember that Andy Matushak from uh, Khan Academy had an interesting keynote discussion or keynote talk over at CocoConf in Seattle uh, last fall about switching to use... Um, you know, preferring to have value instead of reference programming. So preferring structs and enums over actual full-blown objects uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, one reason was, you know, program correctness and that if something can't change, then it's, you know, a less likely source of a a defect, right? That you, whoops, I forgot that this value can change to be nilable. Oops, I forgot this value could be A versus B. but there's all performance gains in there too, right? Like things that the compiler can do. Hey, this is never going to change. I don't have to bother with certain things. I can optimize for things. Um, like I said, that's currently in vogue. I don't know if that will continue to be, you know, something that, that grows and if it's like the next phase of development or if it's really just kind of a trendy thing to do now. <laughs> but I, w- I would say that uh, many moons ago when I was a, a Java developer, I really, really wish... I could have had that, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Is it James Gosling? I was really wish I could have told him, like, hey, every class should be, and everything in a class should be private by default, not protected, mm-hmm. and not public. Hmm. And I think it would have solved so many problems. 
I mean, it, yes, it means, that, oh, no, I have to explicitly say these things are public. I have to say explicitly these things are protected and, and other, you know, members of the same package could access those things. But, you know, that just seems like an, a good thing to do as long as you go in the route of having garbage collection where you're trying to make things, you know, easier for the programmer by not having them, you know, miss things that they might not be aware of or not be thinking of. That's That's certainly a good design decision, I think. It's a reasonable one. So in, in keeping with our, uh, our trend of, of looking at the App Store and, and the state of it, uh, following up on what we talked about in the last two episodes, I believe, or at least we were talking about Charles Perry last week, um, there seems to be a report again on TechCrunch about, um, I guess we're all sort of in this camp. If we're not on the top 300 apps on the App Store, you know, and, and we are possibly still getting downloads, it's because our, or the majority of apps out there are now zombified or they become zombies or just sort of floating around in the app store waiting for someone to take them home. Um, That's not what zombies do, right? <laughs> no, zombies... <laughs> Nobody wants to take a zombie home. No, generally, generally speaking, but yeah, I think I think the implication is that, that uh, and unlike zombies on, on the PC world that infect people's computers and do nasty things, these are these are apps that are just, you know, floating around out there, right? And, it, and it's, so, it's risen up from where it was last year. How do they define it? Is it you know, a certain number of downloads per day or week or month or something? If it, um, here it is, it's not considered a zombie if it appears two out of the three, two out of three days in the top 300 lists on the App Store. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they have a, I think it's a very low bar. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, for being a zombie, um, yeah. you know, because I would think that would be almost every app and 83%. Yeah, yep. just about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I can see that. See, when I think of a zombie app, I think of an app that hasn't been updated in a long time. And I think yeah. there should be some kind of index for that. Um, mm. I would love to know the percentage of apps on the App Store that haven't been updated in one year. Say one year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a, a huge number of apps that got, you know, 10 downloads in the first day because the developer's friend and family downloaded yeah. them. Yeah. And have never gotten yeah. another download. Yeah. That's what I would consider a zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also do remember I had a conversation with uh, somebody at Apple about the rollout of iOS 7 um, in that, you know, we all had to go through, jump through hoops to get our apps updated, you know, to change the, to, to deal with the, the flat look and the uh, new sizing and, you know, the transparent menus and stuff, or transparent um, nav bars and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, there were all kinds of workarounds by that. But but his take on it was that it was going to get rid of a lot, do a lot of garbage cleanup on apps that are that have been neglected or abandoned or whatever you will on on the app store right so well that clearly has not happened right <laughs> yeah well i mean those apps are still there i mean there, there are well-known popular apps mm -hmm. that have not been updated for ios 7 mm -hmm. um tweetbot for ipad a, a glaring example um and i'm we're, we're hearing today actually that tweetbot for mac is going to be updated shortly and that's good news um but, you know, that app hasn't been updated in well over a year mm -hmm. and uh, is still on the App Store. And that's – it still works. It's it's good. It's fine. But how many apps are out there in the App Store that haven't been updated in at least a year and, and maybe don't work or look so dated that you wouldn't want to use them anyway? I don't know. But um, there's, a, there's a ton of apps, I think, that fit that description. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is what a zombie is, not – you know, an app that hasn't appeared in the top 300 list. 
I would have called um, them iceberg apps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a better name. Why would you call them iceberg apps, sir? I mean? Well, because you only see the tip of the iceberg. Oh, okay. And this is the the top three hundred that you're talking about, right? Right, 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 right. And, or and, have you know, been at some point. Yeah, and, and looking at these categories, like I'm, I guess there must be a lot of churn in weather apps because I thought the first thing that everybody does if they create an app is create a to do list. Yeah. Or a weather <laughs> app. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about the weather, but yeah, the to do list does, does make sense. Oh, weather apps are a huge UI playground. Hmm. You see tons of them. Hmm. Yeah, and games. Yeah, no, just because on, on the far end of the scale, yeah. games and entertainment. Um, wild, just wild. Yeah. I mean, games kind of make sense because look at, like, all the freemium games like Candy Crush and, you know, the Game of War, Fire Age, the one with Kate Upton yeah. that had a yeah. $4 million for 30-second Super Bowl ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I see her. I see her a lot. Now that you pointed out who she is, I see her a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you can't miss her. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, games do tend to be very, very uh, peaky in their in their popularity. So a game might come out and, and you know could be the number one game for a few days, and then and then mm-hmm. drops, and people get bored of it, and and uh, and instantly it's zombified, right? So mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. arcade games, I'm I'm not too surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Still, uh, well, and, and I think it's obviously it's part of the what what we think of as the app economy. You know that um, because of the economics of the app store, maintaining apps is difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like it's mm-hmm. you, you put your effort into publishing it, but then after that, you're you're pretty much done with it. Um, improving it is not worth your time. Yes, you know? I think we should call that the hit it and or quit it technique. <laughs> Are you trying to coin things? Or maybe hit it and quit it. Hit it and then quit it. Well, he's our guy. It's the the, the mullet theory of app development, right? Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we're not going to go down that road yet. Um, (laughs) There was some discussion, again, on a couple of other podcasts that I was listening to about sort of the ethics as a developer, or an indie developer anyway, whether you should keep your old apps on the store that are no longer viable, that you're no longer interested in supporting, and do they reflect badly on you know, your appearance as a developer on the store, you know? Yeah, I believe that, actually, because I ended up doing that myself. I yeah, had, you've taken apps um, down. I know you have, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had three apps on the store, and I pulled them all because um, they they weren't being used. They weren't being sold. Sure. I didn't want to maintain them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just clear the decks, get rid of it. And so, actually, right now, I've got nothing personally on the app store hmm. at this time. Hmm. Um that's going to change soon, I hope. But uh, <laughs> yeah, for now, that's that's it. So, Tim, aren't those two different things, though? So, I think there's a question of is it good for your brand? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I think Aaron, like, I, I think what I heard from what you just said, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you didn't feel like these were worth maintaining, and you didn't want your brand to suffer by having them out there and <laughs> such as it is. <laughs> and it's kind of languishing, right? Yeah, is, is what I think I heard. I think yeah. that's different than the ethics, of, and I think I know which podcast you're talking about, Tim. That the ethics of keeping an app that you have no plans whatsoever to maintain mm-hmm. out there in the app mm-hmm. store. Well, what's the difference? Well, I mean, I I guess it depends on what you think are the obligations as a developer, or or what you should expect as a consumer, right? Is there is there any reason why you should expect more than what you got at the instant that you got it? Hmm. Is probably where I think a lot of people will 
will fall are down you, in one of two Are you camps. speaking as a, as a customer at this point? Yeah, well, let's look at it as yeah. a customer, right? Okay. So, so if I paid $9.99 for an app that has not been updated since 2011, mm-hmm. um, do, should I expect that that developer should you know continue to fix bugs or continue to have upgrades, which I would you know ostensibly get for free because the App Store doesn't provide a really good way of having an upgrade program? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the incentive part of, of keeping developers continuing to upgrade their apps instead of just letting them, you know, wither on the vine. Yeah, that's exactly what motivated me to pull mine from the store. Yeah. And, and I do think the, the price point makes a difference there. You have, do, having a 999 app that you bought a year ago uh, carries a, a much different expectation than a 99 cent app or a free app for, for future support. Well, there's got to be a line somewhere. I'm not sure 999 is that line, but um, yeah, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the line is, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a. It's a I, I, I see what you're saying, Jaime, about about the the ethical versus the you know the the business decision. Um, the the yeah the the ethics are you're you're putting something out there, and and you know people are presumably expecting that they're. That they're going to get some if they if they download an app and pay for it today, mm-hmm. they're expecting that they're going to have something that is that works with their phone today and is and is modern and up to date and uh, and a lot of times apps are not. I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I've got some apps that I haven't supported in, in some time. Um, and I, to be honest, I never really thought about the ethical question before we just brought it up. <laughs> You're such a bad um, man. No, not, not, but, it's a, but it's a valid point. Yeah. Um, and, and from the brand point of view, I actually take the opposite approach and think that uh, quantity is, is an important thing. Uh, when you go in the app mm-hmm. store, if you see a developer that has a lot of apps, well, you know, there's, there's always the, the factories out there that, you know, that, that have... 50 copies of the same thing that just with a slightly different skinning, but I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about, you know, reasonably reputable developers. If they have a lot more apps out there, uh, I tend to think of them as, as, um, you know, more. Well, they're prolific. Successful. Yeah. Yeah. Prolific. Yeah. Prolific. Yeah. 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 Than someone who just has one app out there yeah. or, or a couple of apps out there. Yeah. yeah. I guess for me as a consumer, I, I mean, I'll state, state right up front that I definitely prefer it when an app continues to be supported by a developer and continues to provide me value long beyond the point at which I've, you know, where I'm clearly making a profit off of them than, than vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's to my own advantage. But that doesn't mean that I expect it from developers. Like, I totally understand, and it's part of the, the calculus when I'm trying to decide whether I should buy an app is, you know, Am I okay if they never ever update this again? Mm-hmm. Am I am, the money that I paid now is not really an investment per se in the future of this app? It's more of will I get the value back? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a that's an enlightened way to look at it and a good way to look at it. I, I just wish all the customers actually looked at it the same way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're they're they don't, definitely. I think they don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> another point too is is and and you know close to home. Both Aaron and I were out looking for work a little while ago and. Um, one of the criteria on a lot of uh, applications are, you know, you have to have apps on the app store, right? So, you know, and because and, presumably that means that because, I mean, everybody can talk about having an app idea. We all know the execution is where the actual value of an app is, but um, or being able to produce one. But 
that sort of demonstrates your ability to, to go through the whole process and, and be vetted by Apple and, you know, um, have, you know, don't have a, a, a list of negative reviews about your app, you know, because I'm sure if, if the, any of the four of us got negative reviews on our apps, we would be, we would be rea- reacting to those. Um, and that's true of, of some of my apps that are on the App Store, too. I think they they do have value, and some of them are out there as as demonstrations of, of some skill that I think I have, right, as a developer or a provider of a solution for somebody, right? And I've, I've actually mm-hmm. put together a free app once and, and actually got paid by somebody to make a version of it for them, right, which is perfect. As you know, that's how else was I, you know, that, that was an opportunity that I would have missed if I hadn't left the app on the app store or even put a contact information in the app to say, if you're interested in this app and you want a version, let me know. Uh, oh, oh, so you, you were selling it that way. Okay. Well, no, I mean, you know, I put it up there for free. It was, it was content. We'd, we'd gone through the effort of building this, this, uh, it's basically a quiz app and, you know, where you can study up on a subject matter and, and it's skinnable. You can put any content you want into it. Right. And, um, we had, we published the book and made PDFs and we had websites for it and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was sitting there and I, you know, I made an iBook out of it to try the iBook store out. And I thought, well, let's just make it into an app and put it on the app store and see how it floats and you know make a buck off it here and every now and then it doesn't sell very often but but you know it does it's out there as information for people right so but it's also i I did actually got get paid to write a version of it which was cool you know so so it was a it was sort of an early days experiment and building an app and putting it on the app store and all that kind of stuff right so all right so i guess we'll wrap it up and we'll go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks and we'll start with aaron and see if aaron has a pick for our listeners sure it's not an app it is a rumor and i i think we have it in the show notes now we have a link to this article from MacRumors.com about a mysterious apple car Ooh. spotted roaming bay area streets as well as in new york city this uh really uh minivan with gear cameras and sensors mounted to the top of it that apparently has been tracked to apple mm-hmm uh, so there's pictures on this thing, and I just <laughs> had a really good laugh about it when I saw it this morning. So I thought I'd uh, bring it out here. And if, if you haven't seen it, uh, have a look at the pictures. Uh, it's hilarious to think that this is something that Apple could be doing. Um, the guesses out there right now are that this thing is either uh, a part of a new mapping effort mm-hmm, by Apple, mm-hmm. like Google Street View, mm-hmm. Um or a self-driving car. Well, this, I was going to ask that because I remember when I first heard about the Google car, and I was totally confused by why the hell would Google be making a car, right? Um, and and I actually thought, you know, when I first heard it, that this is going back obviously a number of years. I thought it was going to be something to do with self-driving cars or whatever, but it turned out to be that they were mapping neighborhoods, right? Um, and then eventually they did come out with a Google car, which I saw on, on April 1st, and I thought that was an April Fool's joke, but apparently now Google does actually have self, self-driving cars. But so what did you think when you when you first heard about the Google car? I was blown away by the Google car. I think um, I would forgive Google for everything if they actually made self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think we've seen lately that that uh, we we have to really check our enthusiasm <laughs> on that one because they've got a lot of work left to do to make that a reality. Yeah. Not the least of which is just you know dramatically better mapping of everywhere that car might go, mm-hmm. um, and you know better AI such as it is. Um, mm-hmm. This 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 thing from Apple, this rumor I suspect is a part of a mapping effort and. 
I, I just cannot fathom Apple getting into autonomous vehicles. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I could be surprised, but it just doesn't seem likely. It's not their wheelhouse. It's not, and it's not their style either uh, for Apple to do things that are uh, so outside of their core yeah. competencies. Um, you know, much more likely that they've realized you know, probably long since that they have to really work on their mapping efforts. And, and let's face it, uh, Street View is a killer feature that they really need to get on board with. Hmm. So, yeah, that, that was my first thought. That this is that's all this is is that it, they just they need a street view, as you said, and they're now doing it. They might have been doing this for months and just nobody bothered to notice. Yeah, so actually, one way you can know for sure that it's not a self-driving car is that <laughs> the original article quotes Rob Enderley, uh, you know, idiot savant of ignorant columnists everywhere, um, <laughs> who says it's got to be an autonomous vehicle. Really. Uh, just because of the cameras. So that's how you know it's definitely a mapping thing. Mm, yeah. One of those claim chowder recipients. Absolutely. Like John oh my Dvorak. God. Yeah. Yeah. If, it's really like it's a keyword. If you ever read the Macalope, you know, and, and I've been reading him for years, uh, Rob Enderley is like the, the one guy that just keeps coming up again and again and again. For, and he's just famous for being wrong. He's just always, always wrong. <laughs> So if you see his name, you just basically assume that the opposite of whatever he's saying is closer <laughs> to the truth. He says autonomous vehicle. Clearly, it's a street view car. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Sounds like the kind of guy that throws a slant pass. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that a sports you, ball Mark? reference? Sporting? Are these guys sporting again? They're sportsing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, make it Yeah, stop we'll talk about the, the, uh, the sports ball implications of it slightly There's actually a real interesting article by uh, uh, Bill Simmons uh, on ESPN, uh, breaking down. He's a he's a very strong Patriots fan, so he's, he breaks down the game in a lot of detail. But he actually talks a little bit about why for, uh, why he thinks that that actually happened. He thinks that uh, well, I, I won't spoil the article, but basically he thinks that Pete Carroll just uh, was outmaneuvered by Bill Belichick, and Belichick knew that by not calling a timeout there. He could force uh, Pete Carroll into making a, a bad call, a bad play. So read the article mm. if, if you're interested in it. It's kind of interesting. Well, since you brought right. it up, I just want to point out that Mark did actually call the game last week in terms of who was going to win. So let's thank you. Let's uh, and it was super close on the score. Super, too. Like, I thought yeah, it was super yeah, close. So I thought it was going to be a kind of a snoozer, and it was a great game. It really was a great game. I was only watching it with half an eye, so I, I actually ended up tuning away. You know, not watch, not because I. Wasn't uh, Seattle was was doing pretty well there by the around the third half, right, or third quarter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the <laughs> three Patriots started off uh, strong, and then and then Seattle came back and and moved ahead in the third quarter. Pretty much, pretty much was dominating the game in the third quarter, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Patriots came back in the fourth quarter, and and then it just really came down on the wire to a couple of real close plays. Yeah, it came right down to the end there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And apparently somebody got a left shark tattooed onto their thigh t- this week. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so well, let's involve Aaron back in the conversation. Um, so, Jaime, do you have any? Oh. <laughs> do you have any picks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my pick is Gentleman Ricochet Mini. So this is a uh, it's a game. Mm. And it's hey, one of those, back in another one of those ones that, that really tickles me pink. So not only is it a sprite-based game, mm-hmm. which, you know, I love the old school retro, but this reminds me of 
the you know the Nintendo Game Boy, the original Game Boy, not the DS, not your 3DS, not even the oh, Game like Boy. Oh, like little black no, and white. This is the original pixely. green yeah, screen yeah, Game yeah, Boy for sure. Yeah, so it's real simple. You know, again, another time waster, right? Yeah. So standing in line at Tim Hortons, yeah. Timmy's. Um, we call it Timmy's up here. At Timmy's is that what you guys yeah, call mm-hmm. it? Okay. That explains your last comment. I didn't know what you were talking about <laughs> in one of those tweets. I wasn't cool and hip to the, yeah. the Canadian lingo. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a ricochet game where there's, you know, imagine it's like a, you know, a cue ball or a pinball, and you have this arrow that spins around, and you have to try to collect the stars along the way, and you know, get the ball into, you know, like this containing area. And it's real simple, you know, one finger gameplay where you tap to shoot the ball and then you tap again to stop it on, uh, you know, the, the particular stopping point that you need to have it on to, to hold on to the ball. And there's some extra twists to that, like you can grab keys and there are things that make you teleport from one part of the screen to the other. And it's got a really good um, level up system where, you know, the progression in the game is really good because they, they sort of teach you how to play the game while you're playing the game by just letting you experiment and it has one of that that flappy bird-esque like quick restart like oh you failed quick restart and so you can just iterate and iterate and iterate until you can finally get you know where you want to go to so is it an amygdala type game like the one we were talking about the other day the raa or like is it that kind of lizard brain you know don't have to think about it too much kind of thing or uh, it's kind of in between. I mean, it's not exactly like a strategy game mm-hmm. and it's not a Twitch game. It's kind of more, you have to sort of think ahead on, you know, what are the physics of this ball going to do? Like, okay, if I bounce it off of that, will it have enough momentum to come back the angle that I want it to? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you've ever played, you know, billiards or pool, as we might call it, um, th- this will probably appeal to you as well. Mark, do you have a pick this week? Uh, well, it's not really a pick, but I'll, I'll continue my series of uh, sort of obscure things that have been made better in iOS 8, uh, if you have, or Xcode 6, and, and you happen to need them. This one is frameworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably most most indie developers don't spend a lot of time building building their own custom frameworks, and I, and I have done it pretty rarely, actually. But, but it used to be sort of a pain, because uh, not only did you have to uh, compile your code and you have to package it up into a certain format and run various scripts and whatnot. And, and it was just kind of a, you know, a, an administrative thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Now in, in Xcode 6 and iOS 8, they've greatly improved the process. There's now a, uh, just a template that you start with uh, to create a framework uh, for iOS. And you just pretty much put your code in and, and compile it. And it's kind of done. Um, I, I, I sort of knew about this from WWDC. Uh, they were talking about it in the context of putting custom controls into IB. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in other words, if you made a custom control and you want to see what it actually looked like in Interface Builder, you could do that by making a framework out of it and, and putting it in. And, and I saw that and said, oh, that looks nice and, and, and never, never actually did it. Um, but just in the last couple of days, I had reason to not, not do that specific thing, but to make a framework so digging into it, I just discovered how it's it's pretty painless now. So, hmm. you know, if you ever need to build a framework, it's it's not so bad. I, I did this myself uh, with the application I'm working on right now, uh, which is a iOS and Mac application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I put a lot of my code into a framework and uh, am sharing it between those two apps, and it really is really simple. 
Hmm. Um, and <laughs> it makes things a lot easier, man. Sharing code between those two two sides is is great with a framework. It makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the use that Mark was talking about, uh, as we learned about at WWDC, for uh, creating custom controls that you can uh, see in IB. Um, you actually had to make it in a framework at the time. I don't think you have to do that anymore. Um, I think you can make anything IB inspectable now, um, regardless of whether it's in a framework or not. But at the time, that was what they were telling you to do. Huh. Am I correct in thinking that frameworks are how you share code for extensions, like WatchKit or sharing extensions to the extensions? Uh, so no, those, yeah. are act- those are actual uh, build targets uh, that you create. So you create a new target, and um, you can make that target a a sharing extension or an action extension. So that's for the extension, but I mean, like, let's say you have cust- um, some sort of service authentication and that you want both oh, yes, your, yes. your sharing extension and your yes. app to be able to authenticate with your server. Quite you right. You would use a framework to share that code. Indeed. Hmm. Okay. Yes, and that's exactly what I'm doing here, too. I've got I've got sharing extensions on this thing. So uh, I've got six targets in this thing. It's crazy, man. It's all nuts in here. <laughs> uh, I, uh, iOS app, OS ten app. Uh, an iOS framework, a Mac framework, and an iOS sharing extension and a Mac sharing extension. It's crazy. Madness. Madness. But yes, frameworks, good for Mark. Hooray. Frameworks Mm -hmm. rock. (laughs) (laughs) Learning iOS with Dr. Ruben. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Ruben. We'd have like a little jingle. Well, you know what? what? We have have this tradition here on Hockey Night in Canada because everything we do here circles around hockey. Sports! Circles around hockey. We have this really grumpy ex-Boston coach named Don Cherry. You might might remember him from back in the day, Mark. Anyway, Don Cherry has has a, a you know the first period. He has ten minutes. Where he just gets up there and rants about things. And so Mark can be our our coach's corner guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll throw it over to the coach's corner. There we go. We have, we have a new tradition now. Yes, but Mark is not an ignorant loudmouth. So doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He can be he can okay. be contrary if he wants to, and he can wear loud suits if he likes to. Hmm. Not how you know? Not, well, exactly. Well, he's got loud uh, cookies, so. Um, that's true. Have you got your, could be like Andy Rooney, right? From well, exactly. Minutes. That's the same. Some curmudgeonly old guy that sits in the corner of San Francisco and tells us how it is. Back mm. when I was young, kiddies. <laughs> 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 well, my pick this week is actually, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing. I stumbled across this. I talked a couple of weeks ago about an app that I've been using on my phone. And the reason why I brought it up is initially was I get a lot of people cornering me saying, hey, you're the app developer guy. I've got an idea for you. Why don't you make an app that closes all my apps for me? I'm like, well, because that's not really efficient use of battery or, or processor. But anyway, um, there does seem to be a lot of, uh, and we've talked a bit about, you know, people having issues with their space on their devices, especially if they're foolish enough to buy a 16 gig or is it 16 gig iPhone 6 or they're, or they're stuck with a 32 gig uh, iPhone 5 and they can't update to iOS 8 because they've got no space on their on their uh, disk. Um, and I talked about an app called Battery, which lets you go through and, and close apps down and, and manage mem- manage cache memory and stuff like that. But um, I, I came across a bunch of developers um, who have a product that's in public beta right now called Phone Expander. It's a Macintosh app or Mac app. And, um, or sorry, it's an OS 10 app. Um, that <laughs> almost said X. I didn't though. Um, um, it's it's a Mac app that basically you you plug it in, you plug your your phone into the, the USB port, and it comes up and gives you three choices to clear the temp files, to remove apps 
you know, in a much more efficient way than than doing it on the actual device does, or even in iTunes, which can be a pain in the ass to remove apps. Trust me, I know, because my grandsons are always putting apps on my wife's phone. Um, and also clearing up photos, and eventually they're going to get down to being able to manage music. And so I, I so I reached out to these guys. I, I had an issue when I was trying to sign up, and and you know, so kudos to them for responding to my issue within a, within a few hours. That uh, you know bodes well with them. Anyway, so these so so I, I reached out to these guys, and the developer James Madurza came back to me, and you know I was talking to him about you know the fact that we have this podcast, and and we we talk about apps, and I said, why don't you tell me about your experience as developers? about what you're doing. And what he told me was that they're actually building this app. And, and what they said was interesting about building the app is that they're they're able to, they're working with frameworks that Apple has not documented. There's no documentation on this stuff. And so he, therefore he said the app will never be on the app store. So I was curious about, you know, how do they, how do they, uh, how are they planning on making money with the app and, and what are they going to do with, with, uh, with the project in, in terms of how they do that. And, and, um, he kind of sort of said that they came, they come back with, they, they decide on a very sort of short list of criteria about what kind of app they're going to do. Uh, so they call it a lean startup, and the methodology is to take an innovative idea or a product, put it together with a minimal amount of work, and put it out, test it, get out, get it out in the wild and test it, and then sort of see if it sinks or swims. And that's why they're they're doing the public beta in this case. Um, and so it, you know it's it's low on features right now, and uh, they basically they wanted to have they wanted to focus in on a few things that that they can do well and and get it out there. And then if it you know if it does well, they continue on with it. If it doesn't, they move on to the next thing. It's kind of an interesting way I thought from as developers as another way that you know in the indies could be uh, thinking about writing apps. A minimum viable product. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um... They must be using private APIs then. Is that what he's saying without actually using that term, uh, private APIs? That's why he can't get in the App Store? Uh, let me see what he said here. Um, yeah, he said creating temp files, removing apps, music modules is very fun because it requires reverse engineering some of the technology in iTunes that iTunes uses to communicate with the phone, right, that Apple's never officially made public. So they're, they're kind of digging around in there, right? So, mm-hmm, yeah, and mm-hmm. that's why he said... Uh, yeah, it'll probably never be on the app, Mac App Store itself. So interesting, interesting app. And, and I, you know, I ran it. On, I didn't run it on my main phones, but I ran it on a couple of devices, like my wife's devices, who are she's always running out of space. Well, because my <laughs> grandsons are always making movies, and and then the, excuses. Well, man. one of the other one of the thing, other things that I'm happens. Well, I, our buddy Joe Sablinski was was complaining the other day about his phone. He was looking at it and trying to figure out where all the memory was being used up. And and I, I had the same problem with my wife's phone a couple of weeks ago. And messages seem to be huge. I'm like, what the hell is going on with messages? That's just text, right? But of course, there's pictures and videos being sent by text, and they don't make it into the photo library so you can go in and clean them out. In fact, I hadn't figured out a way to clean them out, right? So this, this again, is like I talked about an app a couple of months ago that allows developers to get rid of all the screenshots that they've got on their phones. When they're you know, building apps, you're constantly making screenshots. And just a way to go through the photo library in iOS 8 and just sort of zoom in on those particular things, probably by the name of the file, obviously, or something like that. So just other ways of managing the, the memory use on your phones. This Here's a new tool called Phone Expander. Seems like an interesting tool. Um, I, I would say for folks, um, this is in beta, yeah. and with the way that it works and the what they describe yeah. there, um, make sure you always have a backup <laughs> in case something should go awry with your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No kidding. 
But it, it, it seems like a, an interesting tool. I think, I think I'll check it out. Um, I do use Screeny on iOS, yeah, was, which is the app you're right. referring yep. to, because I take screenshots all the time as I'm developing apps, and I just need to get rid of those suckers without having to go through and manually find them myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I use that too. So tomorrow morning at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, I fly down to Washington, D.C. to join the rest of the tutorial team and technical writers that are work for raywinderlick.com and we're going to have a wonderful conference on Friday and Saturday it's sort of a tutorial based conference it's a new sort of take on on tech conferences um, rather than people just you know giving you a, sl- a slide deck and a little bit of lecture we're actually do, going to be doing hands on sessions with people so that'll be kind of interesting and i'm going to go visit the space shuttle discovery which is something that's kind of cool i've been to the smithsonian since i was a kid so there you go. So that's where I'm off to this weekend. And uh, so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the internet, where would they look? Twitter.com slash Aaron Bay. And Jaime, if people were trying to find you on the internet. At Dev with the Hair. Dev with the Hair.com, which has been recently updated. Yep. <laughs> and and um, I am officially attending NS North. So I bought oh, my yes, ticket yes. before, but was planning to go rogue in the worst possible case. But I have official backing to go there yeah actually i was going to say something about that earlier but uh some canadian reference now i can't remember what it is it'll come back to me anyway uh mark uh if people want to find you on the internet where they where they look mark r at smapsoft.com well there you go all righty then so i guess we'll see you guys next week and uh stay out of trouble bye take care good night bye. Bye. goodbye bye if you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the app store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. The, the one that I want to talk about, or I want to ask about talking about, and it involves high-level math and, and complicated stuff, so I'm going to defer to Mark's judgment on this one, is the, the link that I put on there about the importance of being final. Did you guys look at that? Yeah. Looking at it now. What's the Mark math did. part? I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's over my head is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, under- I understand the concept, but yeah. Yeah, I read it, and it makes sense. I can't speak intelligently or whether it's true or not because I have no actual experience for it but you know I read right. the article and it makes sense so I don't know yeah, yeah. I don't know what more to say well and they, and they do talk about they do talk about uh, in the article he talks about the fact that it is that actually in Apple's documentation that we should be using that or could use that mm. um, and basically what it does it, if I understand it, it it sort of tells the compiler that it doesn't have to do a whole lot of extra work with this because it's kind of hasn't changed or isn't what? changing or, right. oh my god Look at this. Right. I'm just I'm just reading this now. <laughs> okay, well I, I actually put it there for you, but <laughs> Wow. Seriously?
I'm supposed to write final after everything? No, you don't have to do it at all. You yeah, can wait extra. You unless, can stand in line like the rest of us. Yeah, if you want your up to run slow, just do it. <laughs> this is bullshit, man. <laughs> is this for real? Oh, man. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> We'll wait. It's we, okay. we need more tables here. Need, <laughs> waiter, could you bring me another table, please? Come on. Well, I mean, so, <laughs> so one thing about so let's let's say this implementation detail, which which completely makes sense to me. So should we talk about this during level. the show? That's <laughs> my point. No, we're talking about it now. We're all recording. God, damn it! Oh, this this is this is no. No, no, I refute it. <laughs> Are you it. being contrarian? I guess I am. I guess I am because I don't like this at all. I'm not at all pleased by this. No? No, okay. no. Like, you know, how much crap do they want it to keep track of? That's my question. Yeah, Mark, you know, like, put final on that last cookie. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it's not the last? What if later you change your mind? You got to come back. You got to rip out the final. Now what, Rockstar? <laughs> eh? What are you gonna do? Is that what is that what this is this is this implying? It appears to be. Yeah. yeah. This one feels like a winner to me. You think? <laughs> this one will have a lot of downloads, I think. Alright. Yeah. Oh. I've All never right. even heard of this. Well that's why I found it and put it on the podcasting. I'm, I'm not just I'm not just like Jaime, just a you know, taco eating, nacho eating, you know, podcast subject finder. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.